This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Footnotes. I am so pleased we've got double trouble with us today. We've got Dr. Robert Chow Romero and Dr. Jeff Liu. Gentlemen, welcome to Footnotes. Thank you for being here. Oh man. Hey, Dr. Jeff, I'm going to start with you because this is our first time kind of meeting each other. So tell me and our listeners a little bit about you, what you do and what brings you here today. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm uh, East Asian descent, Taiwanese uh, uh, immigrant parents, and I live in Southern California with my wife and two teenage children. And um, I I have one piece of overlap with you that we we both spent time at RTS. Although okay. I did a little, I I did some virtual work, and all right, there's some stories there to talk about. No <laughs> maybe, doubt, we need maybe to on another podcast, t-shirts or something. That's right, that's right. <laughs> and uh, I've got my PhD in theology and culture from Fuller Seminary, uh, where I studied with Dr. Mao, and um, I actually studied with uh, Robert Chow Romero here, who oh. uh, helped me do one of the directed readings in which I was introduced to critical race theory. <laughs> so you can blame it on Dr. Robert. Then. Absolutely. <laughs> and now the student becomes a co-author. How fun is that? That has been great. And our our wives met in Mops at okay. uh, the church where we attended, and that was a ride for them as well. And uh, we live down this. I live down the street from Robert, like less than a mile, I think. And uh, so we started getting together and start talking about things. We had overlapping interests. I wanted to do a directed reading outside of Fuller in race and ethnic studies, and Robert was there to help. And Robert was taking a class on uh, the theology and ethics of Martin Luther King, and I was uh, TAing that class. So we had a fun exchange. Okay, I'm officially jealous of you both. I mean, <laughs> the classes that you're getting to take running into each other, and you live in SoCal, man, done, done. Uh, Come out and visit us. We, join we, us. We'll join take us. around. <laughs> Y'all better watch it because I will pull up and we'll have a good old time talking CRT, <laughs> theology, and all the good things. So thank you so, so much, Dr. Jeff. Welcome to the show. Um, what's your role right now? I am the National Director for Theological Formation in uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA. So my role is to curate and train, uh, curate training and deploy training for all the staff of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Bruh, National Director. Okay. Yeah. That's a flex, bro. I like that. Oh, man. Well, they are job. to have you. It's a fun job. All right. Well, now you can hit me up. We can collaborate and get into some good trouble. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dr. Robert, you are a second timer on the show. There's not many of those, only the very special ones. Welcome back to Footnotes. Tell us, uh, for first time listeners, a little bit about uh, what you do. I am honored to be back. Thank, thank you, Dr. Jamar. So, um, my full time job is I'm a, I'm a professor of ethnic studies, um, Chicano Latino studies, and Asian American studies at UCLA been there like 18 years. Um, 
I live, as Jeff said, kind of, I live up the street from Jeff in, in SoCal. I am a, I'm a hood pastor too. So I was ordained in, in, in the Pentecostal Block Brown Church of South LA a number of years ago. My heart is really a pastor. Um, some people have said that I am a pastor disguised as a professor. I love um, and my passion is issues of race and justice. And that really comes from like my life experience. Uh, my dad is from Mexico. My mom is from China. Mm. And so all my life, I've always thought about these issues of race um, to this day. And so my calling is to just talk about that and Jesus and see what happens. Man, listen, we're cut from the same cloth in that sense. It's like the 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 line between a, a sermon and a lecture can get very very thin when <laughs> when you love Jesus and justice and you're an academic. So I really appreciate that about you, and that's why I really appreciate this book, y'all. This is what brings us three together today. Um, it is their new book, which they co-authored, called Christianity and Critical Race Theory. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> this is subtitled A Faithful and Constructive Conversation. Y'all, why did you think that you needed to juxtapose Christianity and critical race theory, which in either realm, either the church or the academy, most people don't put right next to each other and talk about it in several thousand words. Tell us about that. Let's start with you, Dr. Robert. I think like I live in those separate worlds of CRT that usually is excluded from conversations with Christianity and vice versa. Um, And I wanted to, I wanted to create a bridge. I wanted to create a bridge. Um, That's my calling. Like I'm known for like activism and justice and stuff, which I care about, but like before anything, I'm actually an evangelist if you can believe it or not, right? So, so that's the way my heart is wired is to bring bridges. And, and so I wanted, you know, like biblical examples is like uh, like the author John, gospel writer, you know, drawing from just, you know, literally this Greek concept of the word. In the beginning was the word, right? So that people, you know, and bringing those concepts together so that people could know Jesus. And the same thing, you know, with Paul and his speech to the Areopagus, right? You know, quoting Greek philosophers and poets and stuff. And it's like, that's kind of what I do. And and so for me, that's the meaning of the title. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And we're going to see that fusion of faith theology and scholarship throughout the book. Uh, Dr. Jeff, anything you wanted to add about juxtaposing Christianity and critical race theory? Yeah. I mean, this couldn't, this book project couldn't have been more organic for me. Uh, when I was a student in InterVarsity, uh, back in undergrad at the University of Michigan, I, uh, I learned about what we called then multi-ethnicity and racial reconciliation. And we have different terms for the stuff that we're doing now, but, um, I started thinking about race and racism in college. And uh, I quickly learned that I needed new frameworks. Mm. Uh, the stuff that I was getting both on the campus side and on the theology side were inadequate. So, you know, I wanted to go and learn more. Um, but it was there where I wanted the gospel to go out to every student on campus. I remember sitting in the middle of campus and just longing, weeping really for students wow. to to know the gospel and knowing that there were racist and racial barriers for the gospel to get to folks. Um, So, couple that with this uh, theological orientation that I learned from being in the, of all places, 
the Dutch Reformed tradition. <laughs> we right. have that in common. First church, first Reformed church I went to was a CRC church. Okay, I'm ordained oh, in the CRC. Oh no way. Okay. Yeah. Oh man, so, we gotta have we got a lot to talk about. Keep going. Yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> couple couple this passion to see the gospel go out with this grand proclamation from someone like Abraham Kuyper about the about um, every square inch of creation belonging to Jesus. And when I look at the campus, I was thinking about these disciplines that needed the, the lordship of Jesus Christ to take every one of their thoughts captive. Mm. And CRT became one of those emblematic places where the church needs to speak into and needs to listen to what CRT has to say. Gracious. Okay. Well, gentlemen, it, it obviously your faith is already very clear to, to us right now. But what I find so interesting is in the current discourse around critical race theory, we got a lot of people weighing in that ain't got no clue what CRT really is. But you both have an actual academic, disciplined, studied background in critical race theory. So, Dr. Robert, would you tell us a little bit about your background in CRT? Then we'll move to you, Dr. Jeff. Sure. Well, first of all, um, I am a lawyer, so I went to Berkeley Law School, and, and I studied under one of the founders of CRT, um, although I ditched class a lot, Ian Haney <laughs> Lopez. <laughs> um, and I also have a PhD in history. And so um, I've, I've, for the last couple of decades, I've studied the history of race in Latin America, in the U.S., vis-a-vis -vis Latinos and Asian Americans. Um, and CRT is a framework that I've come across you know, over these two decades that it it started in in law schools through lawyers and law professors who realized, oh my gosh, I've gone through three years of law school and I haven't learned anything about history of race in the U.S. So mm. nothing about like the history of Jim Crow segregation and slavery and busing and all these kind of really important issues. You could go through your law school career without hearing of any of it, right? So in the kind of like the 80s, they got together a few people and said, we need to create a field that would fill this gap, create a field that will specifically look just objectively at the, at the, at the role of race in, in U.S. Um, legal systems and, and the, way that that, that, the way that that affects people. To give a, just a real simple example, between 1790 and 1953, um, a person could not become a naturalized U.S. citizen. From 1790 to 1953, you couldn't be a naturalized citizen unless you were defined by the law as white. Not 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 white as like an ethnic descriptor, like, oh, I'm Scandinavian, but like it was a legal term, right? So as an example of CRT, they just want to study that. Like, why did that come about? How did that come about? And, and, what, and what, what are the impacts today? And so... From law, CRT spread into fields like education and history and social work. And I'm very proud that the founder of CRT, the founder, is an endorser of, of our book. Oh, the founder of CRT. That's in amazing. That's um, Danny Solorsano, Daniel Solorsano at US, UCLA School of Education. He in basically, Christianity yeah, he, and critical race theory, Romel, Romero and Lou have uh, provide the first comprehensive, insightful, and timely story of the connection between Christian theology, scripture, and critical race theory. This book is a significant contribution to the fields of critical race theory and liberation theology. Critical race scholars today and in the future will be served by this gift. So, oh my gosh, it's honor. just so honored. Oh my gosh. 
just giving you your flowers. That's amazing. What 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 an honor. I can I can understand why that would be um an amazing honor, but you've 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 absolutely earned it. Um uh Dr. Jeff, anything to add to that? I mean, my uh, earliest exposure to CRT was through uh, Robert here. I mean, mm. um, I asked him to uh, provide some reading for uh, a, a directed reading in ethnic, racial and ethnic studies, and he handed me some CRT stuff. Um, but my the rest of my training was um, in the theology of race. So I did a lot of the- theological work, a lot of biblical studies work, um, trained with folks like Love Seacrest, uh, who's a New Testament scholar, who does this incredible analytical, grammatical uh, work on the concept of race in the New Testament. She provided me with tons of readings where I was grappling with the development of the proto-concept of race in the Old Testament. I mean, people want to say that there's that race is not a category in the Bible, right? Mm. And And... I understand why they want to say that, but there's a reason why we translate the word genos in the New Testament as race in the English translation. I mean, there's a reason why that's there. It's because of the way these words genos and ethnos function in the New Testament. So, you know, that stuff is important to me and it impacts. I'm, I'm trying to draw a line from the, those early proto days of what could be conceived as racial thinking all the way through patristic sources like Irenaeus and then to contemporary theologies all the way up to folks like Willie. Jay Jennings, J. Cameron Carter, et cetera, those, those folks have been leading lights for me. And um, I think that the study that I've been doing, it just became so clear that CRT was a way of summing up how not just the academic work that I was doing makes sense, but summing up also the tradition of struggle that the church, especially the Black church, has been ga- engaged in for so long. That is why they call you doctor. I love how you are linking all of these different eras and thinkers and scripture to this discipline, but under a much broader heading, I think, which we'll get into about justice and shalom and uh, the vision of heaven uh, with with people of all tribes and nations. So what necessitates a book like this? Um, Or another way to ask it is, what is going on in the current discourse around critical race theory that concerns you, frustrates you, maybe even just pisses you off? (laughs) Oh, can I start? Yeah. (laughs) Because, Dr. Jamar, when I look at your work, I have seen how people have treated you. And, brother, I've read the statement from Grove City. And I don't know how much trouble you want to get into today, but... We can go all the way there, brother. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, read the, I've read the report that they they wrote about what they believe CRT is... And, you know, there's folks who don't know any better, and they are um, parroting uh, misinformation. And then there's folks who have no excuse for the kind of misrepresentations that they're making. I mean, if you read through their um, litany of what they believe CRT is, I, I, I am... I shouldn't be shocked in this day because I wrote the chapter on how racism is ordinary, but the kind of mischaracterization was breathtaking to me um, because here I am reading the original documents, looking at the the, the stories that, that uh, critical race theorists are collecting, and then I see in the news and in uh, reports like Grove Cities, et cetera, um, the Heritage Foundation, um, even, the, even the well-intended attempt by the SBC to grapple with CRT. And I'm finding the propagation of misinformation, mischaracterizations of CRT. And it matters to me 
that Christians tell the truth. And it matters to me how we engage with academic disciplines, primarily because our children are watching and they care about this world. And um, we're watching them leave the church in droves because of the way we treat the world that they love. That that's uh that's deeply concerning to me. I love what you said. It matters to me that Christians tell the truth. I just like whatever your political leanings, whatever your background, Christians should be people committed to the truth because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? And Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if we can at just at least be accurate, at least strive to accurately represent a theory like critical race theory, that should be something that crosses all kinds of ideological and political lines. So I agree with you. Uh, my passion is there as well. Um, so I appreciate your insights, especially coming as a theologian who's trying to educate the church on these matters. Dr. Robert, what is on your mind as we're looking at this current discourse on critical race theory? The current discourse is a stumbling block to people receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a stumbling block, right? Just like, you know, in Paul's letters, he talks about how people were trying to throw in this cultural stuff to, you know, say, okay, if you really want to follow Jesus, you got to hold on to this cultural, these cultural practices and things. And people are, in their critique of CRT, they're putting these white nationalist stumbling blocks in people's way right that equivalent that 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 um equates christianity with us civil religion right for the last 200 years so it makes me very angry like let, let me say again i've been a professor for 18 years at ucla and as I, like i said my main passion is i want people to know jesus right and let me clarify for the record in case in case anyone's listening from ucla not in the classroom <laughs> and, you know, separation of church and state, I firmly believe in. But that being said, I've met so many students over the decades that have lost their faith because they learn history. And unfortunately, there's a really bad racial history in the U.S., right? And they learn about sociology, they learn about public policy, and they learn about all the bad stuff that really is happening. Then they go back to their home churches and sometimes they're told, oh, you know, you can't believe that. That's just CRT, right? <laughs> and, and so students are, are put in this in, in this conundrum where they're like, do I believe, continue to believe in the Jesus that I loved and encountered, like when I was in high school or in college, that my mom told me about, my dad, my my grandmother? What do I do, right? Or who's right? And 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 thousands and thousands and thousands of people, even millions, are walking away from the faith. And so, for me, this anti this anti CRT movement, it's a stumbling block. And nothing makes me more upset than people putting an unnecessary stumbling block in the way of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Amen. Um, the evangelist coming out in you. You you don't want anything <laughs> to get in the way of people knowing Jesus, and, and that's clear. Now, we've talked a lot about this term, critical race theory. 
I know you've done it a million times, but it's helpful to define it or, or, or try to describe it. So not only would I love for you to do that, but also tell me, you know, what about that definition or, or that description you find helpful or that you just want to highlight and underscore for people? Either one of you. Yeah, I mean, you'll find in the glossary of our book, um, we describe critical race theory as a diverse, uh, multidisciplinary field of study, examining the role of race and, and the development of U.S. law and policy. So there's a couple things that help us focus, but then there's a couple things that keep it broad. So um, focus is that the, the origination point of CRT is uh, U.S. law and policy. So it's scholars looking at U.S. law and policy. But the things that keep it broad is that it's diverse. I mean, Robert's already mentioned that it's branched out into education. And then, you know, in other places, he's talked about how there's Latino crit, Lat crit, Asian crit, et cetera. It goes out into all these uh, derivative fields. Um, and so that keeps it broad. So there's a focus, origination point, there's breadth to it, diversity. So it's really hard to nail down, as some detractors want to do, well, critical race theory is this, it does this. Well, there's diversity in um, this movement of critical race theorists um, that have really differing viewpoints on everything from Marxism to justice. Mm. So uh, that's important to keep in mind. I appreciate that, that it, it it is a broad field or it has become broad in many ways. It has rooted historical origins in um, the law, as you point out, but it's also important to remember that, you know, a simple, you know, one sentence definition really doesn't do justice to the expansiveness of what the study has become. I appreciate that reminder. Uh, Dr. Robert, anything you want to add on the definition? I think like there's several key tenets, like again, it's so broad and so diverse, but there are a handful of key tenets that that Delgado talks about in his kind of um, textbook on CRT. Um, I'll just say them real fast and we can go into them as much as we'd like. But the first tenet of CRT, again, this is looking at the history of U.S. law and policy for several hundred years and looking at, you know, um, history in the U.S. And th these are the tenets. Number one, racism is ordinary. Racism, racism, racism is ordinary. Two, interest convergence. Interest convergence. Three, the social construction of race, social construction of race, and number four, the voice of color thesis. Those are like four key tenets, right? Um, and there's so many more, but but th those are those are some of the core tenets as defined by the leaders and founders of CRT themselves. So um, I just first would start with that. I am so glad you mentioned that because that's my next question. What are the four basic tenets? And I know that um, as you co-authored the book, one of you hit on two of them and the other hit on the other two. So so maybe just unpacking very briefly each tenet as you addressed it in the book. Sure. I mean, so we 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 covered four particular tenets that we found productive uh, in a conversation with Christianity and CRT. The ones from Delgado that Robert just listed, um, that, that's a, a different set of four. But, you know, I, I think Robert should get us started on uh, community cultural wealth and the and the glory and honor of the nations. That That's our first one that we deal with that uh, I think is particularly inspiring. Sure. So there's this amazing passage, it's my favorite. It'll either be a tattoo or it'll be on my gravestone or both, but it's Revelation <laughs> Revelation 21, 
My kids will hate that. <laughs> Revelation 21, 26. John is describing when Jesus comes back and restores all things to the way that they're supposed to be. You know, what are some images? And in Revelation 21, one of the things he says is, John says that the glory and honor of the nations will be brought in. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought in to the new Jerusalem forever, right? Word glory comes from the Greek doxa, which can be translated treasure or wealth, treasure and wealth, among other things. The nations, you know, can be translated as uh, the different ethnic groups of the world, right? So John is sort of, like, there's a picture of this where John is saying, you know, um, every ethnic group that God has created possesses by God's design, by God's eternal plan, cultural treasure and wealth, cultural treasure and wealth. And the thing is, there's a parallel to that in CRT. It's called community cultural wealth, community okay. cultural wealth. And that that um, that framework of, of community cultural wealth in CRT, it came from education. Um, a colleague, colega um, Tara Yoso from education, and she said that in in traditional educational studies, students of color, black, brown, and other students of color, when they, when they came to their K through twelve education, they were viewed through a, a cultural deficit lens. So people would say, "Okay, if we want these kids, these poor kids, to succeed in school, we gotta realize that their cultures are are deficient." And we need and, and we need to turn them into middle class white kids. Right? That's they didn't say that directly, but that's what they said. Right? Tara Yoso says, "No, no, 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 no." When students of color come to their K through twelve education, they bring distinct community cultural wealth to their education related to family and language and leadership. And she, she enumerates a whole framework that has traveled the globe and transformed educational studies. Um, and it's just a whole different way of looking at it. And then to apply that to what we're talking about. Unfortunately, 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 in the U.S. church over the past several hundred years, darker bodies have been viewed as through a similar cultural deficit lens. We don't have cultural treasure and wealth to bring to the table, right? Or if we do, it's limited, right? And so many of us coming to the church in the U.S., we're forced to leave our, our God-given community cultural wealth outside the door. And, and and our perspectives that flow from that God-given community wealth that flows from the color of our skin and our experiences in the U.S. is not welcome in staff meetings, by church boards, by Christian colleges, right? And so that's 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 one example of sort of two of again sort of um, bringing together a biblical concept with, with a, a, a CRT concept. And in our book, we elaborate upon the, the theology of that, the history of that, and, and make an application within institutions in the U.S. And that's evident throughout the book. I really love the way you both sort of say, okay, here's what critical race theory says about this. But then we actually find a biblical parallel here. Um, Dr. Jeff, what what did you write about in, in terms of these tenets or frameworks here? Sure. I think the second chapter is a great example. Uh, the fourth chapter is where CRT and Christianity really diverge. But the second chapter is, is the assertion that racism is ordinary. That's a tenet from Richard Delgado, Delgado and Jean Stefanczyk. And um, what I argue in the chapter is that the way that Christians formulate their theology of sin 
can be mapped onto whether they think this assertion from CRT that racism is ordinary, whether that's a credible assertion. So I'll, I'll work it out real simple. So first of all, um, if you believe that sin is something that an individual person does and then they're responsible for the action that they take, then racism is an action or an attitude that an individual has toward or against another person, right? That I argue in the chapter, is an extremely limited individualistic way of understanding both sin and racism that doesn't exist in its entirety in the New Testament. It's not attested in the in the, in the Bible. Um, the, I, I argue that the scriptures understand both sin, uh, well, sin primarily in a completely different way. So if you take a look at you, I would encourage your listeners, go to your church website, open up your statement of faith, take a look at what the statement says about sin. Is it wide enough, expansive enough, I would argue biblical enough, to house an understanding of race and racism that is matches with reality and the way people experience racism in the United States, which is not just attitudes, but as critical race theorists have written about, it's in systems and structures. I know that's a trigger phrase for a lot of folks, but it's cataloged in the histories of people groups who have endured injustice for centuries in the United States. Ooh. Okay, you're a preacher too, right? <laughs> I happen to be. I do that sometimes. <laughs> um, I find that, you know, if I can untangle one misunderstanding that um, white folks in general tend to have around racism is that it is an individualistic, interpersonal, attitudinal thing only. <laughs> sure, that's an element of it. But it's it it also encompasses systems and structures and policies that structure our life together. And what I really appreciate about your exposition is that you say that's how the Bible understands sin too. <laughs> like yeah. this is not something that's being imported. It actually takes a lot of effort to read the Bible front to back and come away with a doctrine of sin that is highly individualistic. Like you got to work at that because what is very yeah. clear and abundantly testified in the text is that sin affects whole groups and whole systems. And that's one of the things that critical race theory is pointing out is like it doesn't always take some person with like steepled fingers twirling a mustache saying, oh, I'm going to really stick it to these people of color. No, no, no. It can be embedded in the systems, particularly the laws that mm -hmm. we create to, to mm -hmm. govern our life together. That's so powerful right there. And if I could extend it, and this is where I, I can easily get into trouble, but if I can extend that analysis, I would say that the work of misreading scripture has been ongoing for decades and decades, that it is the work of the enemy to alienate us from each other. And that work can be found in some of the foundational legal documents in our country mm. that shape the way we understand our life together. Even our life together in the church is shaped sometimes more by constitutional liberalism mm. than it is by the scripture. I mean, case in point, the way we understand immigration as surveyed by survey research companies, like they know that the way Christians understand the immigration issue is more informed by the news than it is by scripture. That reality is insidious, and uh, pastors need to be on alert. A to the men. Um, Dr. Robert, I think it is critical, <laughs> critical race theory, it is critical 
to know about one of the founders, Derek Bell, who was a black man who was also a Christian. So as we're juxtaposing Christianity and critical race theory, it's important to know that one of its primary thinkers in the beginning was also thinking theologically. So you, can you tell us a little bit about Derek Bell, his faith, and and um, his role in the development of critical race theory? Sure. So um, this is where I think, you know, I'm, I'm aware of Derek Bell's, you know, background, I think in the Presbyterian Church and other traditions, but I think Jeff's probably the better person. Okay. <laughs> well, what, I can tell you about... He's yeah. already been I, on the show, so you can take as much air oh, yeah. as you want. Yeah, go for it. And after, afterwards, I can talk about Danny Solorzano, because he's a Christian, too. Let's do it. Yes, I like <laughs> it. All right. So, I mean, um, some folks are going to know that uh, Derek Bell has roots in the church, in the AME church. He talks about his time in the Presbyterian church. Uh, he's written books that reflect on spirituality. Um, uh, he understands um, the uh, the struggle for justice as a part of um, the Christian tradition as well. And uh, so some of his books, even the book titles and the contents, reflect liturgy or hymns and spirituality as, a, as part and parcel of, of, of resistance against the empire and the powers. Um, so that's huge. And even when he writes um, his reflections on what he calls racial realism, right, uh, where he talks about this really what I consider to be a gloomy outlook. He, he says that uh, Black people in America need to prepare for, quote, permanent subordinate status. <laughs> That's a tough word. But the reason why is he has this pastoral heart where he cares that people don't believe in the lie that the Constitution guarantees your equality. Mm. Because if you believe in that lie, if you place your hope in a false god, it will ruin your soul. And Derek Bell's concerned about that. Now, he writes that in conversation with someone like John Powell, who's still living, um, who says that that kind of racial realism is actually racial despair. And so you see two folks writing in the critical race theory genre who have this di diverse mindset, divergent mindset about whether there is hope in the Constitution or there's not. Right, so that's part of the diversity, and and John Powell has you know seminary training, right? So he's a Christian as well of some kind, and um, they have a disagreement over what their vision ought to be that emerges from the Christian tradition. Wow, that's a great analysis. And then, uh, Doctor Robert, you you had another individual who we should know about. Tell us about them. Sure. So we mentioned earlier Danny Solorzano, one of the endorsers of our book, right? So he's one of the founders of, well, he is, he's the founder of CRT in the field of education. Um, just recently, I'm so, it, I'm so excited to share this. Like I had, I had the privilege of editing a whole essay collection about the role of Christianity in Chicano studies in Latino studies. Oh, nice. right? And I was invited. It's, it's amazing in the flagship journal of my field. Right. So that's like amazing. Like, Praise God, like that's like incredible. But for that for that volume, um, I was, um, you know, I and 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 my my co-authors, um, co-editors, we were looking for people to 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 contribute essays that would say, okay, why has Christianity been left out of of our field, 
And what are some ways that Christianity could be examined and integrated in a fruitful way, again, in Latinx studies, Chicanx studies? And the lead article is from Daniel Solorsano. Oh. <laughs> and in, in that essay, again, in the flagship journal of our field, he basically gives his testimony of how he came to CRT, you know, as a devout Roman Catholic, right? Oh. He's, ne- he's never left the faith, right? Um, but he's so famous. He, he he could probably start his own faith and people would follow him. He's that famous, right? But, you know, his faith has been central to him. And in 20 pages or something, he just describes the integration of that and, and the flow of the development and, and, and the role of of um, of Catholic social teachings, and, you know, and his Catholic faith that, that it has had in his activism and in his writing. So that's another example um, wow. of, of a Christian in CRT. See, and, and first of all, I just want to highlight for people like for religion and, and particularly someone's personal experience of religion, of let alone Christianity, to end up in an academic journal like that is extremely rare. Uh, the, the, the separation unnecessary many times, but the separation between church and, and the academy is vast and wide. So, you know, congratulations. That's an accomplishment to to edit such a thing. It really shifts the field in terms of the conversation uh, that you're having, because I'm sure this will stir up a lot of good conversation. So so that's that's um, incredibly important. The other important part about what you both have said is the people who are actually coming up with these theories, who are leaders in the field, they have some experience with Christianity. They've thought through these things theologically, which you will never hear in the sort of far-right bashing of critical race theory. If they know about these folks at all, which I'm Mm -hmm. confident most don't, um, they'll never highlight the fact that, oh, these are Christians too, because it gets back to some, some of the earlier points that you were making about um, how this shows up in theological studies in the academy, where if it's not European, white, typically male, it doesn't count. It's not weighed as heavily. It's not as sound, right? And so uh, they'll a lot of times the far right will discount the faith, the Christian faith of people who view theology differently and see this expansive uh, definition of sin that encompasses systems and structures. So I really appreciate you highlighting that. I've got two terms that I want um, one or the other of you to unpack, then we'll wrap it up with something that you said, Dr. Jeff, which I think is is, is going to be vitally important. Um, first is, can one of you explain the term resistance capital? I love that. Resistance capital. I'll let Robert do that. <laughs> okay, I mean, I can give it a shot. Um, uh, so um, the way I've described resistance capital is that it's in a suite of different things that can be referred to as capital. Now, capital, just think of it like money, okay? So like in an economy, you you need capital, you need money to spend in order to get along inside of an economic system, right? So um, in... Uh, a white supremacist society, people of color, they are stripped of all their capital. Like they're plucked from their country. They're not allowed to speak their language. All these forms of capital that make society go, they are stolen from people who are enslaved. And some people who immigrate are disconnected from their previous forms of capital, et cetera, right? Like my Taiwanese and my Mandarin, not so great. And that would be a form of capital. One theorist 
um, talks about the energy to resist injustice as a form of capital. Mm. Now, imagine if you didn't have the energy or the hope or the resources or the know-how to engage in resistance, um, then you are crushed under the system. You have no, you have nothing to spend to help you or your people um, rise up and demand your dignity or to even be able to survive in a system. So that resistance capital, that legacy of resistance, the the knowledge, the stories of people surviving, the scriptures that fund and energize the ability to stand Mm. against injustice, those are all part of um, what funds our ability to name and work against uh, structures, uh, the principalities and powers. So that's my crack at it. I'll give an example too. It's a sermon. Um, yes, keep going. <laughs> amen, Brother Jeff. Amen. When I was in, in middle school, I remember I was assigned to shop class. And my dad got so mad. I couldn't understand it. He got on the phone. He called them. He transferred me out of that. And I learned resistance capital from him. Right? Mm. Because... As a young man growing up in the public schools of East L.A., shop class was where they sent all the Mexican kids before they sent them to Vietnam to get killed. Oh, wow. Right? They didn't get tracked into the honors classes. They got sent to shop class. We have resistance capital. So we, we, we're brought up knowing that we're going to, if people try to, <laughs> if people try to be racist towards us, we're, towards us, we're going to kick their ass. That's resistance capital. <laughs> We're brought up with that because because our families have had to survive for for generations in a hostile system. Goodness gracious! Um, I love that term, resistance capital, and I think it's going to end up in the book I'm writing right now uh, because it's called the spirit of justice, and and what I'm terming the spirit of justice could also be termed resistance capital. What I'm trying to look at is the stores of faith um, that people draw on in order to resist injustice and oppression. So I was just drawn to that term and really the whole chapter around how people of faith find the funds. I love that uh, to resist um, what, what the oppression that they're enduring. The other term I want to you to unpack is called the voice of color thesis. The voice of color thesis. Sure. Um, so, uh, t- to give a an example, a biblical example, remember, like in the book of Acts, when the Greek widows, you know, they weren't getting enough food, and the Hebrew widows were getting all the food, and so the uh, the the Greek Jewish community said, "Wait a minute, Peter, and all you know, you folks, our widows aren't getting anything, right? They're not getting their fair share." In response, they appointed, you know, deacons, right? Um, and those deacons were all, as far as we can tell, um, of a Greek back, Greek uh, background, Hellenistic Jewish background, right? In other words, when they wanted to frame a solution, they chose as leaders the stakeholders because mm-hmm. the stakeholders could understand the problem best. That's what the Voice of Color thesis says the same thing. If we want to understand the experience, the experiences of, of, of Latinos in the in the education system, 
then, then we should hear from Latinos, <laughs> Latinos who have their PhDs or have been teachers or and stuff like that, right? If we want to hear, et cetera, right? In other words, like as people of color, we're in the best position to understand our own experiences. It seems like duh, right? But it's not <laughs> because historically in the academy, people have told us, well, actually, you know, Robert, you can't really objectively study Latin American history because you're from a Latin American background, you don't have the, you lack the objectivity. Yeah, <laughs> that word. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that the voice of color thesis counters that and says, no, on the contrary, to use another CRT expression, our cultural backgrounds around a particular issue, it gives us a certain type of cultural intuition. That's also mm-hmm. from CRT and education. Mm-hmm. So, so, so we know where to go to, to think and understand and solve the problem. Ali, this is just so good. <laughs> um, you mentioned something, Dr. Jeff, that I, I thought was really interesting. You said Christianity, if, if I'm remembering right, uh, Christianity and CRT would diverge at a certain point. Uh, can you talk about that divergence and, and one legitimate difference that people should be aware of? I mean, if I'm going to pick one, there's a couple that are pretty significant, but if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to pick eschatology. So our understanding of what's going to happen at the end of time. Um, I think there's a lot of CRT folks, including someone like Derek Bell, who, when when you posit a kind of permanent subordinate status, it changes your ethics, right? If no, if no one's coming to help you, then that's going to change the way you grit your teeth. It's going to change um, your orientation toward the enemy. It's going to change all of that stuff. Um, who's going to vindicate you if no one's coming? But the Christian tradition, and and we want to be cautious here, the Christian tradition talks about a Savior coming to redeem his people, um, coming to rescue and to transform, to set things aright. And because of that, in many commentaries on the book of Revelation, it's observed that the people of God do not take up arms. So there's a different ethics, a different way that we view the enemy that I think is enshrined in the theology and ethics of someone like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, that kind of nonviolence that I've I've heard about on your podcast, you know, that nonviolent direct action um, is congruent with the ethics of the book of Revelation that says that the people of God don't take up arms because the Lord fights for us. Mm. If that's part of our final end times vision, that God vindicates God's self uh, on behalf of God's people, then the way that we stand, our posture, the way we breathe, the way that we um, think about our positioning in the world is a little bit different. I I think it's a radical difference um, that especially uh, critical race theorists that don't have an eschatological vision should consider uh, for their soul's sake, for their spirit's sake, uh, for the uplifting of their very being, that they would be lifted up to a God who loves them and who will vindicate them because they're on the side, uh, on, in, in the cause of justice as God understands it. That's a wonderful way to put it. Um, Dr. Robert, did you want to add anything to that? eschatological divergence. <laughs> yeah, I think like um to just to build upon that I'd say that there's a lack of and Jeff taught me this, right? There's a, there's oftentimes there can be a lack of hope. Mm. Lack of hope with CRT because it doesn't have like a final eschatological vision of like the beloved community of all, right? Where we all stream together before God as sisters and brothers, right, with our cultural treasure and wealth in hand, right? 
And that that vision, that that vision allows me to meet anybody, any Christian brother or sister, it doesn't matter, of every ethnic group. And even if I have firm disagreements with them, to say, well, you're my sister, you're my brother, right? Um, we can disagree and let's let's hash it out. Let's have conflict, even strong conflict. But at the end of the day, you know, you're my brother or my sister. So like, that's where like, I'm kind of conflicted, like even with the term ally, right? Mm. Some people might, might get mad at me for saying this, but the term ally has important, there's, there's an important significance to it, right? So yes, it does. I think because of, and, and it kind of correlates with the voice of color thesis, right? <laughs> like an ally is, is, is an important role. And, and, and so there's significance in the word, but at the end of the day, I don't view my white Christian brother or sister as just an ally. I view them as my brother or my sister. My really, God. from the, the deepest part of my heart, yeah. I truly do. So I didn't get a chance to officially endorse the book, but it's called Christianity and Critical Race Theory, A Faithful and Constructive Conversation. And my word to our viewers and listeners is this is an incredible synthesis of theology and an academic analysis of critical race theory. I would highly recommend it for any person of faith who's seeking to understand critical race theory as a theory more thoroughly, but also who wants to understand it from a Christian perspective. And even from the way you structure the book, where the chapters are creation, fall, redemption, consummation, it's thoroughly biblical and theological and scriptural based. You make some incredible connections that I didn't see coming, and it is a wealth of knowledge that addresses holistically both the head and the heart, as well as our material conditions, which both Christianity and critical race theory are concerned about. So you both have have done an achievement with this book. Uh, I congratulate you. I can only hope it gets into as many hands as possible and that you will continue this work. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, your heart, and your expertise on these matters on Footnotes. Appreciate you both. Thank, Thank you, you so John. much. Looking forward to your future work so much and appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you.